0: Well, uh, we are in a brief study, two weeks left, this week and next week, uh, just on the general matter of Christian leadership and shepherding, not only the official kind that happens, but even in the unofficial, that is to say, the interpersonal relationships that we have today, that's very much to the foreground. And so I'd like to read to you this short chapter from the Word of God, Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Apologies again to Titus, who's going to keep on looking up every time I say that name. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers, of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Amen. Let's pray once more. Father in heaven, we pray that these words of sound doctrine might indeed give us strong and healthy lives to the praise of your glory, that those who gainsay might have nothing of which to contradict we, we pray, our Father, that as we grow together as a church, as we are continuing to grow in size and scope with uh, so many new ones visiting and coming to the Lord, we, we pray that you would knit our hearts together, that you would cause our interest in each other and love for one another and ministry to one another to grow and blossom as well. Expand our hearts along with this ministry for the sake of all, for the glory of your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, many of you know the name Vody Bacham, a preacher that uh, we have watched in some of our Sunday school classes. There was a time not long ago when he was preaching on a college campus, and after he spoke, he was talking to a young woman. Uh, he writes, quote, she was a 21-year-old junior who was wrestling with a serious relationship. She said that she loved a young man very much. But he had none of the things that the Bible clearly taught a prospective husband must be. She began to fight back tears, he wrote, as she asked, What am I going to do? As I probed, I discovered that she had been seeing the young man for over two years. The two of them were, quote, very serious. She had obviously been agonizing over the future of this relationship long before my sermon But what she heard that morning pushed her over the edge. However, her relationship was so serious, it had lasted so long, that she wondered if she needed a support group to help her get over it. I asked her if she knew any mature Christian women who could help her through this difficult time. She did not. She did not. But how about you? Do you have those mature Christian brothers and sisters, fellow pilgrims who can and do walk with you and help lead you through those difficult times and agonizing decisions and help you grow in grace? Or putting the putting it the other way around, do you older men and women have such a kind of trusted relationship with the younger with such intimacy and and spirituality that you are able to help them to mature and walk with them to learn the grace of God as they need to learn it. Titus had been left in Crete to finish setting in things the the uh, setting in order the things that were lacking in the church. By God's grace the people there had received the gospel. They believed, they were saved. And yet They were still imprisoned in a sensualism and a materialism that was characteristic of the pagan culture of that day, more and more characteristic, I'm afraid, of the Western world as well. Paul is concerned to build up the church in Crete through faith and holiness and take it, as it were, on the offensive. So he wants these Christians, though they're in Crete, uh, this place that was known... For its immorality, he he wants these Christians to live distinctively Christian, godly lives. He wants that change of life, even, to be a a witness to the watching world, to be a living testimony to what God has done in their hearts, so that the transformation from the inside out would be a compelling witness to the world around. Well, as a matter of first importance, we saw last week... Every city needed to have elders, godly elders, where the church was, who could teach sound doctrine and even exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, here in chapter 2, Paul expands this leadership development program. To the whole congregation, elders are important, but they are hardly sufficient. Everyone must be involved uh, in this mutual growth leadership program. The the older must learn to teach the younger. Titus himself must be in all things uh, a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, and so forth. Paul was concerned, you see, to multiply godly influence throughout the whole church, raising up more and more leaders, uh, leaders who would train leaders, who would train leaders, older teaching the younger, to raise up a generation to walk with the Lord. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Likewise, the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations, you notice. Paul had taught Timothy. Timothy is to commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others. This is the way that godly leadership is to multiply in the church. Paul had also done this for Titus, And now Titus is to be doing the same thing for the men and women in the cities of Crete. Titus, you need to teach these people by word and example so that they may be able to teach others by word and example. We need people who will not only know sound doctrine, but who will not only exemplify the doctrine, who will not only be able to uh, teach the doctrine to others, but also, verse 10 People who will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. People who will make this teaching about Christ beautiful in their lives. That's a, a high calling. To know the doctrine, to exemplify it, to teach it, and to adorn it. Well, Paul gives the instructions. I'd like to break it up here into four parts and consider with you the foundation, the content. Uh, excuse me, the context, the content, and the goal of Paul's leadership development here. The context, the content, (laughs) foundation, context, content, and goal. Excuse me. First, the foundation. He gives it in verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Throughout this chapter, throughout the book, Paul is concerned to promote the doctrine that accords with godliness through a mutual ministry among the members of the congregation. In context to the false teachers described back in chapter 1, in the previous verses, Titus is to take the lead and to teach sound doctrine. Now, sound it doesn't simply mean right or true doctrine, though it is. The word sound has been chosen in English to represent this idea of health-giving, like a a vessel is sound, a ship is sound, uh, it it has full integrity, or uh, if you receive somebody back safe and sound, the idea of healthy, um, this idea of health-giving doctrine, so that if heresy would be a kind of disease that ultimately leads to corruption and death. Sound doctrine is that which makes people healthy and strong and well. The best way to combat the false teaching of chapter 1 is with this sound teaching and the living that flows from it. For, he says, at the end, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But this grace is a teacher teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and so forth. Speak, teach, rebuke with all authority, let none despise you. Susan Hunt wrote to women in her book, Spiritual Mothering, about their need for sound doctrine. Titus speaks to women, you notice, starting in in verse 3, the older women likewise, okay? Titus, you need to teach sound doctrine so that the older women may be able to teach others. Apparently, she wrote, Paul did not expect or want the women in the Cretan church to change their conduct without changing their thinking. He wanted them to think Christianly so that they would act Christianly. This sound doctrine, Titus, is to be the foundation of this new life in Crete. And it's the crying need of the hour, even today. Christians don't stand out in their holiness, in the context especially of a pagan and immoral culture. Uh, Crete, the Crete of our day, perishes while the gospel and good works are ignored or neglected. We likewise urgently need to have multiplying leadership in the church and if truth, godliness, and grace are going to be established in local congregations, here is where it must begin. Here is God's appointed foundational answer to these things, to speak those things which are proper for sound, healthy, life-giving doctrine. Point one, the foundation, you must teach which is in accord with sound doctrine. Oh, I should mention to, to my Daughter Kayla, the word is also used of bones, broken bones versus sound bones. Uh, that's the that's the word. A, a, a healthy bone with integrity was called a, in their language, a sound bone. Well, so it is that we need uh, Christians with a strong skeleton or something like that. Okay, all right. Uh, that's the that's the uh, the foundation. Second, the context of this teaching. Um, One of the things that's very obvious from this passage is that the teaching and learning spoken of is not the instruction of a classroom. It's not that uh, older women are to take younger women into the classroom in the church building and instruct them in godliness and sound doctrine and domestic piety, or that they might be able to get it perhaps from a self-study correspondence course. Now, We can certainly benefit from articles, lessons, books, more formal education. Um, They're able to give us wisdom to a point. The Word of God is essential, point one. But you can see what is being stressed over and over in this passage. Titus, we need people. We need these women to become teachers of good things. Older women to teach the younger. Older men to be a pattern of good works. Starting with you. We need to have the human element that is continually uh, at work in the lives of one another. In Jesus, of course, we read that he had appointed 12, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. I mean, what do these fishermen know about preaching? Nothing. But they will be with Jesus, and then they will go out to, to preach, it was he who said, "A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Not just know what the teacher knows, but to be what his teacher is. And so you see, there was this uh, very personal instruction going on right from the beginning. Paul, although he never had the privilege of learning from Jesus, nevertheless adopted the same method. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 You know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. This is the need. We need people who can say, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, he says elsewhere. That can be a great burden, obviously. We are uh, not very good followers oftentimes, but the truth is, we need people who can show us how to be Christians. Peter says to the elders, do not lord it over them, but be examples to The flock, or the author of Hebrews says, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. We need people whose faith we can follow. This is the context of the teaching. All the more important because, chapter 1, there's all these bad examples around. Back in chapter 1, you remember, Paul quoted the uh, poet Epimenides, one of the most famous Cretans of the ancient world, a man whom they regarded as their prophet, Even Epimenides said, chapter 1, verse 12, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, yeah, that testimony is true. There was a selfishness and a subjectivism in Crete, and Paul makes frequent references to it in his letter. Titus, Paul warns, the Cretan culture is ruining people, churches, and families. This hedonism, this self-centered lifestyle, it needs to be reproved. you got to spell out for them this lifestyle that is in accordance with sound doctrine. And this is Paul's prescription, then, for change in Crete. We need to have leaders rising up to help in the church to teach and to model and to adorn the doctrine. Susan Hunt, again, writing to women. It's interesting that of all the ways Paul could have told the women to combat the decadence of their culture, that he told them to invest their energies in training the younger women to live Christianly in their society. Now, there are many obstacles, of course, to this kind of change. Uh, It takes time. It takes emotional commitment Uh, you need to have a relationship with the people. That's the point. The culture is also against us because of the so-called generation gap. It's increasingly difficult for people to relate to the older generation like me. The decline of the nuclear family, not to say the extended family, also has taken away a certain amount of natural intergenerational teaching and credibility even from authority figures. Older men and older women feel more alone and unwanted. But mature leadership from generation to generation is what they desperately need. That's to be the context of their teaching. Amidst the darkness of Crete, they are to have the light of love in their relationships, one to another, the older teaching the younger. Well, third, Paul speaks about the content. What are they to teach Well, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love, and patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, and so forth. Speaking to the ordinary matters of the household and the relationships of the day, they are not to be um, uh, untrustworthy, answering back, disobedient, Uh, they are in so many ways to be showing honor to whom honor. We're being told how to live life, a life that is beautiful and proper for sound doctrine. So this is the life that flows out of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That lifestyle is the result of the forgiveness, the free and full forgiveness that we have received and the new life we've been given by the Spirit of God. I'll be able to have a whole sermon Dealing with chapter 3 next time. But he makes it so clear that uh, we, in so many ways, were a sinful people. But then, when the grace and kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appears, not by works of righteousness we have done, not because of our works, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out abundantly in Christ our Savior. God's grace that we have received is to be a teacher teaching us how to live lives of godliness and good works. Um, Bad doctrine, Paul said a few verses later, is ruining whole households. This truth of God, rightly taught, rightly lived, leads to spiritually, morally, emotionally healthy Christian lives, the kind that he goes on to describe. And he urges Titus and others to model it because so much of Christianity is caught and not taught, I've mentioned several times before, but uh, I'll just quickly say when I was a new Christian, I went to an elders uh, Bible study elder at my church very early on Saturday mornings, six thirty I think it was, and he was kind of across town in Charlotte that's kind of a commitment too, so uh, we would have an hour together and I read some of the best books i 've ever read. We had great discussions. It was very, very important for me to have those early lessons in christian doctrine and Then, when we were done, his wife and children came down from upstairs and we had breakfast together at the table. We spent another hour just hanging out and talking and I got to learn about how a Christian father behaves and how he relates to his wife and to his children. I learned how a Christian family talks and relates in a way that I had never understood or experienced before. And so many other small lessons I, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I needed the Bible study, but, but I needed just the, the time learning from a godly man and his family. And I learned more from breakfast than I did from the books. Susan Hunt writes to women, Godliness produced by grace gives authenticity to our faith. Godly living presents a spiritual reality to the world that will penetrate the darkness of our age. The reality is to be evidenced in a life of love that governs women's relationships and conduct. Loving their husbands, loving their children, There is this ongoing instruction of growth and grace, one to another. I could give you another example I've mentioned before. um, If I were to ask you, what are the five most important life-changing sermons you have heard from me that have made all the difference in your life, you would probably be hard-pressed to come up with one. Now... You say when it doesn't work that way, hearing the word of God preached is like food for your soul and you don't just live from one meal. It's a regular nutritious diet. I understand there probably aren't five sermons of mine that have made all the difference in your life. But if I were to ask you who were the five most important people who made all the difference in your life, well, that's another matter, isn't it? You start to think about those special family members or friends or Uh, church leaders or others who poured their lives into you, who walked with you, who helped you follow the Lord in times that you needed them most, and who taught you in a thousand different ways what it is to be a real Christian. That is the content that makes the difference. That is the content that Titus is zealous to see flowing from generation to generation, the more mature, teaching the new believers in the church the content of this doctrine. Well, finally, the goal. The goal. Three times Paul mentions that, indeed to combat the rampant ungodliness and cultural hostility of Crete, Christians need to live beautiful lives that adorn the doctrine. In verse 5, we read that if uh, Christian women live this way, that no one will malign the word of God. Or we read in verse 8 that if young Women and um, uh, ministers uh, live faithful Christian lives. Those who oppose us will have nothing bad to say about us. Or finally, in verse 10, we read that if Christian slaves live in this distinctive way uh, toward their masters, that they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, adorning the doctrine. Now, dear friends, there's, there's so many reasons why we should live a faithful Christian life. The Bible draws our attention to them elsewhere. But here, in the darkness of Crete, amidst those in chapter 1 who are gainsaying, who are opposing the truth, Paul wants the church to fight back, giving special emphasis here on the witness that beautiful behavior gives to the world, to the Crete in which we live. Paul is dealing with with a situation where people are maligning the word of God. Paul says, I want you to teach the people to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, to make it beautiful. One translation reads, that they may make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Another translation, that they should be a living testimonial to the teaching of God our Savior. Or, my favorite, I came across this, the braid Scots version of the Bible. Braid-Scott's version has a homely translation that they might make the doctrine. Make bonnie the, make bonnie the doctrine. Well, Paul says, we need leaders whom we can learn from, people who we can follow that will inspire us, people who make following the Lord beautiful, who make it bonnie. Bonnie, the good old Scots word for attractive, right? Beautiful. That's what we need in Crete. That's what we need here and now. We need such everyday leaders in our churches, change agents, men and women such as these, whose lives are a beautiful commendation of the gospel of Jesus, a behavior that Christians make a recommendation of this gospel to the world. It is, again, a challenging thing, to read that the lives of Christians ought to be the setting in which the diamond of the gospel is shown forth. But you'll remember that Jesus said a very similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount, that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it on a basket, but on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Many reasons to do good works. One important reason, that people may see them and glorify God. Jesus said a similar thing, by the way, in his great prayer in John chapter 17, that it would be the unity of his people that would prove to the watching world that Jesus Christ really had come as the son of God and the savior of sinners. Peter says a similar thing to Christian wives married to unbelieving husbands, that by their graceful life, their gentle submission to their husbands, that those husbands may be won to Christ even without words by the behavior of their wives. Or to give you an example, uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote They'll ask, when I have gone, what was the secret of my ministry? And if you don't know, Charles Spurgeon had one of the most widespread influential ministries of all time with his sermons being avidly read by hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. They'll ask, what was the secret of my ministry? I will tell you. It's been twofold. The truth of the message and my mother's life. She adorned The doctrines. She made it comfortable to live with, and her son found it so. Secret of his ministry. Susan Hunt again writing to ladies, There is a direct correlation between the honor the world gives to the word and the virtue the world sees in Christian women. Think of it. My behavior can determine whether someone else will honor or profane God's word. That's compelling, she writes. Many of you will have uh, seen that classic movie, Chariots of Fire, and there's reference in the movie to the fact that uh, Eric Little, the, the Olympic gold runner, is going to be leaving his native Scotland then to be a missionary in China. He was uh, a missionary, and he served in in China for some years until the Second World War broke out. And then it was a very difficult time. Um, There's a book by a man named Gilkey, Shantung Compound, The Story of Men and Women Under Pressure. It frankly makes for pretty dismal reading. I've not read much, just some excerpts from it. There were primarily two groups of people that were rounded up when the war started and were crowded into an undersupplied and underfed camp. There were some Christian missionaries, and then there were various other men and women of the business community who were working overseas when the war began. These two groups had very different outlooks in everything, and Gilkey's account, uh, well, as he has it, he says there were unending dissensions and pettiness, he, he's really very hard on the missionaries. But one missionary he said stood out and his, his writing, Eric Little. According to Gilkey, Little, Little was always helping, always giving of himself to make life easier for others, especially the children who had nothing to do and who desperately needed adults. And uh, I'll just give you a, a brief excerpt It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint. But Eric Little came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. Often in an evening of that last year, I, headed for some pleasant rendezvous with my girlfriend, would pass the games room and peer in to see what the missionaries had going on for the teenagers. As often as not, Eric would be bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary and interested, pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the minds and imaginations of those pent up youths. In camp, he was in his middle forties, lithe and springy of step, and above all, overflowing with good humor and love of life. He was aided by others, to be sure, but it was Eric's enthusiasm and charm that carried the day with the whole effort." He didn't like the Christians. He didn't like the missionaries. But he said that uh, this Eric, this Eric challenged him in every day, his uh, care for others, his overflowing love, his good humor, his springy step, his love of life, aided by others to be sure. But it was his enthusiasm and charm that carried the day. And though he, even at the end of that time, In his book, it's clear that uh, he was never persuaded of the things of Christ. He didn't think much of missionaries in general. He said this man had his full respect. Now, this passage that we read tonight sets before us all a, a clear and direct challenge. Are we living so intentionally? Are we living so as to make Bonnie the doctrine of Christ and salvation by faith in him, And are these adornments and recommendations and testimonials of the gospel flowing naturally from our lives to others, to the younger in the congregation, to others who need them around us? Ours is a faith propagated by fishermen. It's distributed through the world by the most humble, ordinary people. And clearly the victory is not to be from us. God uses very imperfect Very um, sinful and oftentimes selfish vessels to carry this word. And when God uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong, when He is able to overcome the foolishness of this, uh, the wisdom of this world with His own foolishness, He has shown His grace and His power to be all the greater. It is not that people should look at us, but to look through the messenger to Christ behind. And say that even to ordinary people like us, there is a a place, perhaps a great place, perhaps like Charles Spurgeon's mother, a very great place in ministry in the world for you and for me in the kingdom of God in the generation to come. Let us commit ourselves then in so many ways to teaching one another. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that you would continue to bear this fruit of godliness, this doctrine that accords with godliness in our lives. We uh, confess, our Father, that in so many ways we are having the opposite effect on others around us. We long to live not for ourselves but for the benefit of others, that others may learn from us and take their encouragement through what you have taught us, and that we might be useful, even uh, the younger, to be able to teach those younger still. We pray that we might have a multitude of leaders raised up in this congregation to make Bonnie the doctrine of God our Savior through Christ.